0: List of good days there, cats and kittens, and welcome to Discontent Provider, the only topical podcast that I can state with absolute certainty has not been compromised by the Chinese intelligence services. I am not saying that the others have, mark you. That would not only be fearfully irresponsible, but could also be seen as a rather transparent and cynical spot of baseless conjecture motivated by a squalid sense of envy at them getting more downloads than we do. But, things being what they are, I have to confront the fact, and without flinching, that one simply can't be too careful, and I should only speak about things of which I have definite knowledge, to wit our innocence and blamelessness when it comes to international espionage. Now, naturally, you, as an astute and wide-awake connoisseur of audio content, might very well be thinking, Oh ho, Foxy and Arkham are denying having taken G's shilling, but then they would, wouldn't they? How can I be sure? How can I be sure? Rather than waxing tearful about the apparent meaninglessness of a supposed bond of trust built up twixt a content provider and a providee over these long months, I commend you for your alertness and reluctance to take anything on face value, particularly when it's dribbling into your discriminating ears from such a tainted source as the mephitic cyber sewer that is the internet. Instead, I shall simply lay out a couple of salient points that ought to allay any fears of collusion with the CCP. Firstly, not only do I stumble through most days in a quasi-alcoholic fugue state, my efficacy as an international agent would be, to put it mildly, impacted a mite negatively by my well-documented and constantly demonstrable near-blindness. After all, what good would a spy be who has to ask his celestially lovely other half, or you know, passing stranger should he be out and about, if a recently arrived coded message reads, maintain a low profile and observe social trends in your area, or introduce a neurotoxin into Coventry's water supply. Secondly, there's Arkham to consider, and there is absolutely no way in this weary, wicked world that he would entertain the notion of working for the Chinese or the North Koreans, come to that, for a second. Look, I'm not saying that the lad is in any way racist, you understand. It's just that he has a profound distrust of and disdain for any culture in which he would not be regarded as the world's greatest lurcher, but rather as a potential plat du jour. So there you have it, a clean bill of health. And while neither of us have what you would call a fanatical loyalty to our not notably United Kingdom, even if we were inclined to cloak-and-dagger shenanigans, there is no earthly way that any recruiter for a foreign power would see us as assets. Fucking liabilities? apps a bally every Dash time, but assets? No, not never. It's a Dash pity, of course. As you may have gleaned from previous episodes, I've always been rather intrigued by the weird and terrifying world of espionage, and at the moment, the spying game has rarely been hotter and sexier. Look at the case of Daniel Khalifa, the uh, former soldier suspected of spying, or at least trying to spy, for the Iranian government. Well, I mean, before we go any further, let's acknowledge that when I said espionage is sexy at the moment, look no further, eh, what? My gosh and giddy gumdrops, podcast pals. Woof, woof, eh? Eh? Well, such at least is the consensus of many, I feel, more qualified to assess male beauty than myself and i have no reason to argue with them terms like hot totty and super fit have crossed the discontent provider desk with regard to the lad which if nothing else only further serves to strengthen the argument that an aging anti-folk revenant like myself might not be wholly suited to the false passport and microdot lark anyway the coverage of mr khalife's absconding or abscondment is it no no that sounds ridiculous it's absconding from uh, wandsworth prison was a frightfully meaty banquet, was it not? Far more 007 than George Smiley, the stuff of action movies to be sure. A daring escape from a prison made by clinging to the underside of a lorry, followed by a widely publicised manhunt of a nefarious and resourceful enemy of the state who would stop at nothing to evade capture and to... Uh, Well, his goals were never made entirely clear, of course, but had the media claimed that his intention was to break into Buckingham Palace and effect an escape by helicopter with King Charles under one arm and a suitcase stuffed with depleted uranium and blood diamonds under the other, the public would have gobbled it up wholesale. Admittedly, the thrilling saga's denouement, the chap being knocked off a pushbike on a canal towpath, was uh, far more last of the summer wine than it was Jack Reacher, but the fourth estate certainly made hay with it while they could. Khalife was uh, painted as a cunning monster who had either through a lust for filthy lucre or ideological or religious leanings, though I think it's fair to say that the latter was far more heavily implied, sold his soul to the uh, frenzied, beard-chewing theocrats running the show in Tehran, and wished nothing but death and destruction upon the good citizens of dear old Blighty, despite his stalwartly maintaining his innocence. Should we contrast this with the press's handling of the Zagari-Radcliffe affair? I think it's a worthwhile exercise, and we don't even have to bother about objective truths or evidence either, so uh, that'll be a nice time saver. Nazanin Zagari-Radcliffe was, as I'm sure you recall, uh, accused of and convicted uh, for espionage by the Iranian authorities in 2016 and until her eventual release last year was subject to a frankly ghastly ordeal of cat and mouse nonsense. Fresh charges kept cropping up, highly prejudiced appeal processes that went nowhere, hunger strikes, Boris Johnson making things worse. It was, let's face it, the most appalling shit show made all the more ridiculous by her liberation being facilitated by the UK government shelling out wheelbarrows full of coin in repayment for a long-deferred and oft-disputed debt to Tehran. It really did, in retrospect, have all the appearances of a regime using some poor hapless innocent soul as political leverage. But is that really the point? The assumption was, from the get-go, that Miss Zagari Radcliffe was as pure as the driven snow. ...and uh, was a British citizen, or at least half a British citizen... ...who had been fitted up by a shower of shite hawks with an axe to grind. I'm not for a moment suggesting that she wasn't, I should point out here... ...but the automatic assumption on the part of the establishment and its red-top blackies... Were, ...that such was the case was notable... I always thought, not all spies or assets are trained killers who abseil into hidden missile bases and plant C4 charges in strategic points. Intelligence services of all countries uh, recruit all sorts of cats and kittens to do relatively innocuous work, listen to local gossip, gather information about the economy, or, or simply observe local trends to build up a more holistic view of what's happening in a state or region in which their paymasters have an interest. This being the case, Ms. Zedar was, on paper, somebody that might have been of use to MI6 or the circus or whoever runs that sort of operation. Uh, Yet that possibility was not for one moment entertained by anyone who covered her story. The fact is that all countries are at it to some extent or another, and just about any embassy, consulate or even press agency will have at least a couple of bods on the firm who are engaged in some sort of off-the-books extramural activity on behalf of some shady outfit whose governor is known by either a letter, a number or some preposterous sobriquet, M783 or the Narwhale. Again. I'm not for one moment implying that Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe was an intelligence asset, but the fact that any potential involvement in even the lowest level of espionage was rejected out of hand instantly was as notable as the knee-jerk acceptance of Daniels Khalife's guilt. Now, as far as young Mr K is concerned, it must be noted that upon his apprehension, he was, I believe, found to be in possession of a portable telephone and a quantity of cash, which does rather imply that he had received assistance from at least one other party, whether that assistance came from a well-meaning pal or a sinister network of Iranian spies remains to be seen, but it doesn't look good for his claims that he was just a messenger squally being jammed up by the brass. What I'm getting at, as I dare say you've gathered is that despite the murkiness and obfuscation of facts that is so essential to the business of the clandestine activities, there are two general uh, consensus points about espionage. Number one, foreigners are all potential spies and saboteurs, whereas Britishers, with the honourable exception of James Bond, aren't. Number two, When a spy is exposed, it was obvious all along and anyone who was taken in by them is, by definition, morally suspect and simply has to have been a wrong'un for getting involved with them in the first place. We're seeing this now, of course, with the arrest of two parliamentary researchers uh, accused of spying for the Chinese government. Uh, Again, don't get me wrong, cats and kittens, I'm ready to pick up just about any stick and clubber Tory insensible with the damned thing. But uh, the thing about a spy is, well, they're a spy... Uh, when all said and done, their their gig is to inveigle themselves into places and situations and do spy things without arousing suspicion. Uh, so to point fingers at the Conservative MPs who may or may not have put their trust in these alleged spooks seems as unfair as it does do, uh, for uh, Conservative loyalists to so make a big fuss as they did a while back. Uh, they accused the Labour Party of being a haven for traitors because Barry Gardner had become chummy with Christine Lee, a lawyer that MI5 claimed was involved in political interference on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. I mean to say, let's be fair, eh? What? Despite what we learned from the works of Antonio Proyas in Mad Magazine, not all secret agents wear sunglasses and big hats and carry sticks of dynamite or fizzing bombs around with them at all times. Having said that, uh, perhaps there are... Some telltale signs, even in a quiet country pub beside a roaring fire. Alright mate, that's a nice guitar. Oh, thanks awfully old sport. It's a Chinese Fender copy, semi-acoustic. I believe they call it a Dreadnought. Oh, is, uh, is that good then? Not a clue dear boy. I'm relatively new to the guitar game, but uh, as I understand it, the most important aspect is to be obsessive about makes, models and uh, small technical details. Oh, right, right. So, uh, do you know Bad Moon Rising then? Ah, yeah, it was the first song I ever learned, as it goes. I see. Maybe you'll play it later. It was my mum's favourite song, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. She loved it, she did. Well, she was born at 8.43 at Sandwell General Hospital on July the 7th, 1949, you see. So, uh, she was a teenager when it came out. I suppose she would have been, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she told me that it came out round about the first time she met my dad, uh, Norman Claude Winfield, a shop fitter from Sutton Coalfield. Not long after they met, they were married. uh, 12th of September, 1970, at Smithwick Registry Office. I must say, that's an awful lot of very precise backstory. You're you're a spy of some kind, aren't you? What? No, mate, no. What makes you say that? Well, the instant recall of parental details for a start. Also, there is no Smethwick Registry Office. The uh, nearest one is in Sandwell. Mostly, though, it's the accent. It's clearly bogus. You sound like a podcaster who's been told he's a good mimic, but really isn't. None of that proves anything. Well, I suppose not, but uh, what if I were to say, The summers in Potsdam are glorious, I hear. You'd be a fucking idiot, mate. That would activate me, that would. I'd have to go to Whitehall and assassinate six prominent cabinet members. And you'd have to come with me, because I couldn't risk you talking and blowing the gaff. Well, not, not me, I'll top the uh, the silent tomb, this lad, known for it. I'm afraid I'll have to insist. Don't you want to murder senior government figures in Carl Blooddin? Well, well I don't not want to, now i come to think of it. Uh, Let's get your travelling collar on Arkham. Looks like we're off to London. Well, it all worked out well in the end, I have to say. If there's one bunch of coves one can rely on to uh, display an exemplary understanding of human frailty and a lively, almost whimsical sense of humour, it's Special Branch. Of course, the big question we have to ask ourselves is this. Why would anyone turn against their home, their land, their people? For all its faults? and they are as legion as they are egregious, can Britain's little, and getting littler by the day, corner of Western capitalism truly be so beastly and wretched as to make somebody abandon its values in favour of a whole other way of life? Personally, I'm on the fence. I wasn't until recently, I'm bound to say, but everybody has a tipping point, they say, and they're fucking right to say it. As I think I may have noted before, one becomes accustomed, inured and numbed to things after a while. The wholesale corruption, the nastiness, the staggering cognitive dissonance between cheering for a monarch whose sausagey fingers clutch billions in unearned wealth while simultaneously begrudging somebody on universal credit for owning a third-hand television set but sometimes something happens that is so emblematic of everything that is gruesome, rotten and stinking about this shit-mired island that one really wonders why one isn't straining every available sinew to bring the whole crumbling, rancid edifice crashing down like a primary school made out of low-grade concrete. That's right, I'm talking about the demise of the much-loved High Street favourite Wilkinsons. Wilko. The shop, so beloved it took its nickname as its official moniker, has, after struggling in administration for a few months, been declared unsalvageable. Some 400 superb stores and 12,000 workers have been written off, and the 90-odd year old business that bought all manner of household essentials to rich and poor alike has gone kaput. It's tragic, is what it is. And while I'll admit that the fact that the chain's going cunt up has affected both myself and Arkham on a very personal level, thus making it hard to retain any measure of objectivity on the issue, I'd still argue that it's a terrible business, even if it hadn't left us bereft of both terrific homebrewing gear and irresistibly tasty meaty bone-shaped dog treats. Mine is not, I'll be the first to concede, a massive business brain, but I can't help but think that the failure of Wilco was due, at least in part, to an appalling selfishness and stupidity on the part of its senior management. Certainly the stores, wherever one went, were constantly busy, even in these degraded, Amazon-dominated times. And certainly during the pandemic, Farago, their annual receipts, according to Statista.com, were barely below their peak uh, during the before times. So uh, it would appear that uh, they have always had a strong customer base. Obviously, inflation and the overall pocket-pinching effects of the cost-of-living crisis had their effect on the company, but these factors apparently made no impression upon the dividends being lavished upon shareholders and the Wilkinson family members still associated with the stores. Accounts vary, but it would seem that these lucky ducks trousered between £10 and £70 million in the past 10 years, despite the company's debts to suppliers being something in the region of £37 million quid as I understand it, uh, attempts to keep Wilco going, made by various other companies or vulturine Investment Groups, were stymied by said suppliers refusing to send the shops so much as a single can of Geordie Scottish export ale mix until those debts had been dealt with. The consequence of this attitude were painfully obvious before the crash came. Empty shelves, demoralised staff apologising for the empty shelves and a gaggle of executive fuckstumps living high on the hog and squandering loads of money on piss poor investments, and I believe at least one non-league football team. And now, as the curtain falls, we see the result is the ruin of a useful, one might almost say indispensable, retail outlet, and twelve thousand people drudging to the centres of spiritual abuse that is the Job Centre. Once again. Britain sees that the class that pontificates about how the lower orders must learn to live within their means and blames easy credit for our national fiscal woes has been handsomely rewarded for running up colossal debts and telling its creditors to go and fuck themselves. One has to ask if this is an example of capitalism working, ought we not be looking for an alternative, even if re-education centres and the enforced sterilisation of ethnic minorities might be taking things a tad towards the too farish side? And having delivered ourselves of yet another coruscating excoriation of things as they are, Arkham and I will take our leave of you for another week, podcast pals. All views expressed herein are simply the opinions of me, a folk singer and bad guitarist, and should be used for entertainment purposes only, as per usual. And don't forget to spread this deplorable spiritual virus hither and yon through all your preferred social media channels, won't you? Should you feel like getting in touch with us, you can email us at discontentprovider at gmx.co.uk, or you can post at us on Twixter or X or Twitter X or whatever they call it now. We'll always be Twitter to me because I am unashamedly old. Just search for discontentprovider or tweet. Yes, tweet at Foxy and Arkham. So as we wearily wend our way back to our treatless and homebrewless home, feel free to enjoy the song at the end. And from myself, the Silver Fox, and from Arkham, the Black and White Dog, cheerio. It looks like it's all over, it's the end of the road. Time to put our feet up and forget a heavy load. We had a lot of fun and we copped a stack of lolly. But nothing lasts forever and retirement will be jolly. There's no putting fingers or in getting too upset. The milk's already spilt and hey, it's only corporate debt. I suppose it's rather sad the family business can't go on. But let's console ourselves by saying we did nothing wrong. We can blame it all on Brexit's problems with supply chains. Those hopeless cunts our customers have barely half a brain. They'll probably curse the councils for putting up our rent. They've no fucking clue about where the money really went Let's look to the future, how you're gonna spend your millions. Forget about the sorrow of a multitude of minions. Don't think about 12,000 people's cash in their last checks. Cause Richards are disposable, remember Star Trek. Think i holiday in Thailand and check out those lady boys. Buy a Porsche anti-Jukebox, fill my house with high-end toys. I'll never have to work, I'll never have to claim the doll. I my hobby horse an online course by putting business goals. I'll have someone write my memoirs about being a big winner. Scooping pocket change by giving speeches after dinner. Maybe I will just become a gentleman of leisure Become an idling civil right who only lives for pleasure You get a sense of freedom when you're in administration No more ties and worries, no more boring obligations Your horizons are uncluttered and you get the chance to see The things that really matter, and they're me, me, me I'm not worried about the folk laid off, I'm sure they'll all be fine And if they aren't, who cares, because it's no concern of mine And screw public opinion, though they're angry now, of course They'll soon forget, just like they did with British home stores I'm <laughs> Cheerful staff who always went out of their way to help a hapless shopper, even on a busy day. Remember finding what we needed at a price we could afford. A can of paint, some cheese oil, or a knot slip chopping board. We remember buying pencils when the kids went back to school. We remember being able to find any kind of tool. We remember all the money that a hard soul could save by shopping in a wondrous modern-day Aladdin's cave. Stationery earbud stuff for every kind of pet. Just a random sample of the things we won't forget. If you couldn't find something. And you only had to say And they gladly get it in for you In just a couple of days We remember finding bargains We remember finding treats Be it toilet seat or printer rink A little bag of sweet We remember how it helped us do what what we wanted to And we won't forget it went tits up Because of shits like you And we won't forget it went tits up Because of shits like you